Thank you for joining us today. I want to welcome everyone to Ask STS, a town hall with surgeon leaders. This hour-long discussion will feature audience questions, insight and advice from panelists, and updates on a range of STS activities to help you stay relevant and navigate your career. You'll also hear what's on the horizon for the society, including plans for STS 2022. Please note this webinar is being recorded and will be available tomorrow morning on the STS website and STS YouTube channel. At this time, I am pleased to welcome our moderator for this session, STS President, Dr. Sean Grondon. Dr. Grondon, welcome, and let me turn it over to you. Thanks, Scott. Uh, my name is Sean Grondon. Uh, I am the STS President. I'm a general thoracic surgeon from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And uh, it's uh, my great uh, honor to host the uh, webinar tonight. Uh, joining me are a number of STS leaders, as well as council chairs who are here to help answer your questions. Uh, we've received a number of questions already, but there'll be hopefully more coming in. Uh, I've been very interested in hosting this uh, program because it gives us a great opportunity to interface with our members. And that's what we're here to do is try and interact and, and be responsive to our members' needs. We're very much aware that the pandemic has affected um, cardiothoracic surgeons and trainees uh, around the globe. And in particular, we've seen where uh, surgeons have taken on roles outside their normal activities, uh, oral exams have been delayed and residency program progress has been slowed. Uh, but it appears we're starting to see some uh, changes and some uh, return back to some normalcy, although not complete yet, uh, that we hope the STS can play a role in trying to uh, help you get your practice back on track. Um, I want to thank everyone who submitted a bunch of questions. We have some of those uh, on file that we're going to try and address. Uh, please feel free to submit additional questions through the Q&A feature on the Zoom. Uh, kindly, Dr. Tom Varghese is, act, is going to act as our digital moderator tonight. Um, if we, we have an hour tonight, but if we don't get to all of the questions, uh, please feel free to send uh, information or extra questions to me at sgrondon at sts.org, or you can send information to our staff uh, through their emails online, and we'd be happy to try and answer any of your questions. Um, in addition, uh, we sent out a survey, our members' needs assessment, uh, about two weeks ago. A link was sent to you. We'll send it out again tomorrow. Uh, the idea being, if you have any questions or concerns, you can certainly put it into some of the um, uh, open boxes that you'll find in the survey so that we can answer any of your questions. Once again, we're here to try and serve our members as best we can, and we'll try and do our best to answer your questions tonight. So given that, let's see if we can get kicked off here and get going. And I'll start off uh, the seminar by uh, our webinar by um, asking Tom one of the, the first questions that came in uh, a couple of weeks ago. So. Uh, Tom Varghese is our council chair for meetings and education. And uh, Tom, one of the questions that came in is you know, reflective of what's been going on with the pandemic. It certainly has pivoted what's happening in the educational arena uh, worldwide, really. So this uh, uh, member asks, uh, when it comes to educational delivery, what is the STS uh, doing to meet challenges uh, in this arena for, for this year in particular? Thanks, good Dr. Gronin, and that's a fantastic uh, question from uh, one of our members. Um, I'd respond to that that the way STS has um, embraced or uh, responded to the pandemic is really through the delivery of educational content 
through uh, experimentation or pilot testing with new formats, as well as the generation of new content. And so examples of the new formats include the creation of virtual courses, development of online curriculum, webinars, combination of live webinars and at your own pace video components. And the benefit that we've found with this new uh, format delivery is the ability to engage to a broader international audience that helps to replace some of the missed uh, in-person events. As an example, our 2020 COVID webinar series, which consisted of eight programs, uh, we engaged with 7,000 live viewers and archives of these sessions were viewed on YouTube over 12,000 times. In addition to the de deployment of various formats, there was also the generation of new content. And examples of what STS did this past year included a uh, launch of the STS cardiothoracic surgery ebook, where both the adult cardiac and general thoracic sections are live right now with over 300 chapters. And on July 1st, we'll be launching the congenital section. Uh, additionally, there's upcoming virtual events. For example, in August, we have the advanced TAVR virtual course. In September, the critical care two-day virtual course. In October, the AQO data managers conference, which is free for data managers. And in November, uh, the Latin America thoracic webinar. Needless to say, we've enjoyed pilot testing. We've enjoyed embracing these new formats, but we're also looking forward to re-engaging with live education in a big way in 2022. Thanks, Tom. And a, a follow-up question that came out of that as well was, you know, the STS has members in both the adult cardiac, general thoracic, congenital arenas, as well as allied health professionals. And so, uh, how are you as you know, the council chair and the STS trying to um, ensure that you know, the educational programs are covering the needs, the requests uh, for our members to stay up to date and relevant? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Uh, as a member organization, um, all the content that we create is really aimed at meeting the needs of every single member uh, through the three major disciplines. And the, this Content is generated from uh, needs assessment surveys, as well as individual member feedback. So examples of a new uh, content that was generated and deployed as a result of these needs assessment surveys and member feedback included a focus on new technologies and minimally invasive techniques, such as the advanced TAVR course, as well as online robotics curriculum in both thoracic and cardiac surgery. We also generated content addressing late breaking news and latest research breakthroughs, uh, such as the high impact studies in cardiac surgery webinar, the HVAD webinar that's coming up, as well as ECMO strategies during COVID-19. Um, and then finally, many of the courses now are not just focused on the individual needs, but there's a team-based focus to meet the needs, for example, of the multidisciplinary heart team or the multidisciplinary cancer team. Uh, but needless to say, this wouldn't be uh, available or be potential without those great uh, feedback that we've generated from all of our members throughout SDS. Great, thanks, Tom. That's uh, good to see it. I mean, really a lot of work on uh, from your council, so we really appreciate that. I'm gonna pivot from the educational programs. There's a question that came in related to uh, quality and how do we maintain quality improvement initiatives. And uh, I asked Dr. Vinay Badwar, who's one of our outstanding leaders, uh, I must say Vinay is an excellent uh, proponent for quality and our database. And I'm wondering, Vinay, if you wouldn't mind taking a few minutes to describe some of the quality initiatives that are happening, because uh, you are the council chair now of quality research and patient safety. So if you could just give us an update, that'd be great. 
Oh, thanks so much, Sean. Um, you know, as all are aware, the primary use and focus of the SDS database is really to assess and enhance quality. Uh, SDS uh, assesses quality of all operations right now by uh, a composite outcome of three years of data. The, the one exception for that is for cabbage, and, and this is the adult cardiac side, and it's historically been one year of data. However, um, really our specialty has evolved over the decade in, in which this uh, composite has been established and been involved in public reporting. And, and uh, really cabbage our volumes are slightly lower than it's been in the past, and our patients are more complicated more complex, more case mix index increase. So, and there are a lot of a lower volume programs with really excellent quality out there. So SDS has worked very hard over the last several years on trying to evolve with, the, with our current members and our specialty and remodel the cabbage three-year composite from a one-year to a three-year composite to be consistent with the other operations in the quality portfolio and this will probably even be more precise and fair to evaluate programs and will be rolled out soon. In addition, uh, and there's a question in the chat that came up about a blood conservation, so I'll answer that one as well as this comment, that clinical practice guidelines really represent the best scientific evidence uh, and ways of assessing that in the most ideal way as established by the Institute of Medicine. And these standards are beyond reproach. And SDS has a series of updates to clinical practice guidelines that will be coming to really help practical assistance to make treatment decisions for your patients. And these guidelines are evidence-based through a thorough review of clinical information and really a detailed examination of scientific evidence in a very structured way. In fact, on June 30th, SDS will be releasing a blood management guideline. And that topic, uh, as a question came in the chat, will be the focus of an STS webinar this fall. STS has at least two other clinical practice guidelines that will be planned for release in a very short order. One, uh, type B aortic dissection clinical practice guideline that was done in joint cooperation with our AATS colleagues. And one on the prevention of uh, cardiac surgery associated acute kidney injury. All of these can be available uh, for viewing on the uh, SDS website at sds.org slash guidelines. Um, and these are some of the key important uh, quality improvements SDS has been establishing in the last several months and actually working through the last couple of years. Thanks, Renee. And I think, appreciate you handling that chat question. I was just about to ask it. So thanks very much for tackling it. You're so efficient. Um, I'll pivot now to a question that I'm asked quite frequently um, and I, I've asked John Mitchell, who's the chair of the STS workforce uh, for the annual meeting or on the annual meeting to join us. And the question has to do with, will we, be, will we be meeting live in Miami at the end of January? So John, could you give us an update on that? I sure can, Sean. Uh, STS 2022 is going to be live in Miami, uh, hopefully. Uh, on January 29th through the 31st. Uh, uh, we are indeed planning a live event. Uh, and after a couple of years where we really haven't attended a live event, I think it's, it's really gonna be great to see our colleagues uh, once again. Now in truth, you might say, well, this is gonna be a hybrid event because in addition to the live component, we are planning to live stream a few of the sessions. Uh, 
and then if the situation arises where we need to go all virtual, the, the template for the meeting or the grid for the meeting will lend itself well to that conversion if, if needed. Now the Convention Center in Miami is a terrific venue. Uh, there is one change to mention to everybody. Uh, the STS uh, meeting is gonna be uh, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So there'll be some uh, meetings on Friday, but the content will be Saturday, Sunday, Monday, all day. And so if you want to avail yourself of all of the content, you need to get to Miami on Friday. Uh, in addition to the usual sessions that you see at every STS meeting, the name lectureships, uh, the presidential address, the Chamberlain papers, the abstracts, things like that, STSU. We are keeping some of the sessions from 2021 that proved quite popular. That includes the 360 immersive sessions, the chat with the experts, things like that. So finally, a couple of deadlines. Uh, you still have time to submit a session proposal for the meeting. The deadline for that is July 1. And then the abstract deadline is August 3rd. And by the 1st of October or so, we should have the meeting pretty well fleshed out. So I hope to see you in Miami. Great, thanks, John. And I know <clears throat> planning a meeting as we did last year virtually, but planning a meeting in person is a huge amount of work. And so I appreciate your efforts and the SDS staff. And, and once again, please keep uh, uh, yourselves posted on uh, updates on the meeting, when to register. They'll be coming out in the fall. And so hope to see you in Miami. It's gonna be a great um, time. And being Canadian, uh, when we have the presidential um, reception on the Saturday, I believe it is, John, I'm hoping I can buy you a Canadian beer uh, and enjoy our time together. So looking forward to that. Now, speaking of uh, uh, you know, wellness and trying to make sure we get back on track, um, Shanda Blackman chairs our Council on Clinical Practice and Member Engagement. Shanda has been instrumental in helping uh, Mike Mattis develop a task force on uh, physician wellness, which has been a, a pretty important thing, not just for staff, but for uh, our trainees. And so Shanda, who once again, dedicated uh, STS leader who is right now somewhere driving in a desert is joining us. And, and so Shanda, would you mind giving us an update on what's going on under your council, please? Yes, thank you, Sean. Um, one of the most exciting things that we've been able to do in within the council for clinical practice and member engagement is to build a new task force. And the new task force called the Wellness Task Force, which is chaired by Mike Mattis is developing a number of resources that will help us to better balance our professional and our personal lives and be our best selves both in and out of the operating room. A few weeks ago, I was able to join that task force meeting and several others where Dr. Mattis was also planning and executed a moderator of a session for STS, which was a webinar on resilience. The archive of that webinar is available on the STS YouTube channel and on the Society Surgical Hot Topics podcast. Additionally, on July 9th, we're launching a new podcast series called The Resilient Surgeon. Dr. Mattis will interview game changers in the wellness space, executive coaches, just a former Navy, Navy physician scientist, 
who will help share evidence-based practices, real world stories, and their own personal experiences. In addition to that, we'll also be developing a wellness section on the STS website where you'll find links to these programs and blog articles on wellness. I think all of the different things that we've been able to do with the cooperation and support of STS are, I have no doubt, are going to make things better for all of our members and give them tremendous resources during such a tough time. Thank you, Sean. Great, Shanda. Thank you for that update. And while we still have you within sort of Wi-Fi range, I might see if our cell range, I might see if I can ask you another question here, because under you also sits the workforce on, you know, career development, and you, as well as Mara Antonoff, have done a great job uh, with that area. Could you just give us an update on that? That's an area I get asked about frequently as well. Yes, the new career development workforce, which is one of our newer initiatives and really an important one, is the STS membership program and mentorship program, which through residents and others can apply for a mentor and a seasoned surgeon can volunteer to be a mentor. So far, we've matched up to 100 pairs of mentors with their mentees. We also continue to add materials to the career section of the website which is organized by Dr. Mara Antonoff. And I have to say Mara has done a tremendous job in this area. Some of the newest articles include a series on how to build your career portfolio, ergonomics on surgery, and personal financial wellness for new attendings. We also hold quarterly tweet chats, which I've really enjoyed on various career topics. You, you can also go to some of those resources at sts.org backslash careers for more resources and from the Mojave Desert thank you <laughs> <laughs> thanks Shanda thanks for joining us <laughs> enjoy your your break <laughs> say hi to your husband for me um, you know talking about uh, career development career progression uh, we're very lucky because uh, Bob Higgins who is, uh, truly is one of my uh, mentors and you know chair of surgery at Hopkins um, has done a great job in last year developing a leadership program and then moving it into this year as well. And um, I, I wanted to ask Bob if he wouldn't mind uh, sharing with us what's been going on in that arena because it's so important and, and developing our future leaders is critical on so many, uh, in so many areas. So Bob, thank you for joining us. And I'm wondering if you could just give us an update, please. Well, thanks, Sean. Appreciate the invitation. And again, for all the effort that uh, you are doing in leading the uh, STS. Uh, I apologize, my camera, I'm in actually uh, Jackson Hole, uh, Wyoming as well. And so uh, the video seems to be on the blink, but uh, I hope that my, uh, audio uh, my audio message will come across loud and clear. You know, it's obvious that we're trying to build the future of our organization through many of the leadership efforts uh, that, of the folks on this call. And uh, we started that last year with Leadership Beyond the Operating Room as a case-based interactive leadership training session at the annual meeting. We've continued that series throughout the year, building off of the very successful and well-received Leadership Summit, and have included a number of series, which we hope will again uh, culminate in a very active in-person uh, session in Miami uh, for your meeting. 
Uh, we've had two webinars completed, uh, Leadership During Crisis, where uh, thoughtful folks spoke about their challenges and their leadership during the pandemic. And we also had a second webinar on building your practice and your brand, particularly with attention towards coming out of the tailspin that the pandemic has created for many of our practices. We're hoping that uh, we'll have another webinar on promoting your brand led by uh, Melanie Edwards and uh, a number of others uh, in October. Uh, I believe it's October 7th. And we're hoping that this will continue the extraordinary work that members of the STS are doing to establish a year-long curriculum of live and virtual activities. And so we're really excited about these leadership activities because passing the baton for the next generation of leaders, particularly during these very challenging times, whether it's building your practice or dealing with a pandemic or working with your uh, hospital administration and your leadership, it's critically important that cardiothoracic surgeons be at the table, not only practicing, but also leading uh, medical teams around the country. So I wanna say thanks to you. Congratulations, Sean, and a great year. And to everybody who's been on this call and appreciate the effort. Sorry, I can't be there uh, virtually in person, but uh, I hope you hear my message loud and clear. Yeah, Bob, thank you for joining us. I know you were away as well. And, and we did hear it. And once again, looking forward to that event. And there's some details that will be coming out with respect to that shortly. So thanks uh, very much for updating. Uh, uh, Joe Bavaria is an internationally known um, surgeon with respect to uh, valve uh, management, valve surgery. And Joe is, is not only our president of the uh, PSF or our Thoracic Surgery Foundation, but um, is joining us to give us an update in that area because it's so important for career development. But before we did that, we received a question and I was hoping I could direct towards uh, Dr. Bavaria, which I think is very interesting and, and he can help us to answer. So the question that came in, Joe, was why is it that the SDS does not take the lead in controlling the flow of cases in structural heart disease, especially in aortic valve disease. Now I see the same in mitral valves. Shouldn't we have trained our members to be the lead? And so, you know, this is obviously someone who has concerns about how we interact uh, with our cardiology co colleagues, etc. So can you give us your perspective on that, uh, you know, comment or question, please? Yeah, um, I hope you can hear me. Uh, so obviously this question has nothing to do with the Thoracic Surgery Foundation and just uh, yep. my uh, history uh, with uh, structural heart disease vis-a-vis -vis the STS uh, and uh, uh, not only the STS, but the, the NCD process uh, and uh, so on. So, so I think the answer to that question is, is that frankly, the STS has done uh, a lot here. Uh, on the uh, TAVR side, um, back in 2011 and, and 12, uh, it was the STS uh, that, uh, along with the ACC, uh, that led the efforts uh, to uh, uh, organize uh, the national coverage decision uh, for TAVR. Uh, and um, this was a really, really big deal. This was encoded in the law of the land. Uh, and a couple of really key concepts were, uh, were basically uh, uh, instituted, which were uh, that a surgeon and a cardiologist together by law had to be involved uh, in TAVR. Now we're the only country in the whole world almost who has that uh, situation. So this was very, very good uh, for cardiac surgeons uh, uh, at that time. And then uh, also there was a couple other things in that NCD in 2011, which were very good for surgeons, which again, were led by uh, or co-led by STS, uh, which was the 
the development of the TBT database for national, uh, da national data sets. Uh, and uh, that's still, still ongoing, uh, as well as uh, 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 you know, being involved with the RUC uh, and the uh, payment systems uh, through CMS, uh, which were e an equality, in fact, even a little bit more for surgeons uh, uh, than the cardiologists. So this was all uh, done behind the scenes uh, uh, and, and actually not behind the scenes uh, by STS uh, uh, for the, uh, with ACC for the most part. Now, uh, it should be also noted uh, that the NCD came up for renewal in 2018 and 19, uh, and we uh, led that charge as well. And uh, to today still, um, cardiac surgeons are mandated by law to be involved with the cases. So again, this is not something that's, uh, that happens in Europe or, or, or anywhere else. Uh, so this is a huge uh, a, a, a concept for American cardiac surgeons. Uh, and STS was uh, in the lead. And as, as you'll hear a little bit later, you know, we have a very strong office in, in Washington, DC, and we are the, uh, you know, the surgical organization that, that uh, is involved uh, in that uh, gritty work uh, of the legislative and um, uh, governmental processes. Now regarding the might, so, so we're in the game, we need to stay in the game. And some of the honest is on our, our constituency uh, which is uh, the surgeons, they need to get involved, they need to stay involved because we've mandated their involvement at this time. Now on the, on the mitral side, it's a little different, uh, but uh, there is one uh, nuance regarding the mitral. Uh, the NCD has come out for mitrals uh, and uh, it, it is not, uh, you know, it is okay for surgeons to do transcatheter mitral, mitral surgery. Uh, and uh, so it's nobody's stopping you uh, from, from doing it. Uh, so uh, the NCD states, that either a surgeon or a cardi interventional cardiologist can do these operations. Uh, so again, this was spearheaded by, uh, by, uh, by STS and ACC for the most part. So we've been involved, we've been involved big, we protected our, our uh, constituency uh, in, in what I think uh, is, is a really big way actually. Uh, and some of it's on us to just get involved and, and stay involved. The actual education of surgeons to do these may not really be in the purview of the STS to, uh, to, to a full extent, and maybe uh, something that's reserved for the ABTS, the American Board of Thoracic Surgery, uh, as well uh, as our residency review committees. Yeah, and uh, Dr. Vary, I know you've also been very um, involved in making sure the STS, you know, uh, collaborates with other organizations and putting on courses to help keep our surgeons uh, trained, as well as our trainees with respect to the boot camp. So that's important. And I also know that you've been involved heavily with some of the guideline developments to make sure we have a seat at the table with, you know, ACC, AHA to kind of make sure we're trying to develop guidelines um, and in a, um, in a fashion where we can voice our, our positions and what, what role surgeons should take and in include, being included in the leadership. So appreciate your efforts in that area. You've been doing a lot, as you say, behind the scenes to make sure we, we uh, try and stay uh, uh, as a leader in that area. Absolutely, Sean. Thank you. Yeah. Now, Dr. Bavaria, I, I might ask you to, to switch your hat because I know you're the president of the TSF and that, uh, you know, once again, an area that we're quite proud of. It's the charitable arm of the STS. And uh, I was blown away when I was at a recent TSF board meeting, the amount of activity going on, the number of um, uh, grants that were given out. So maybe I'd ask you if you could give us an update on what's going on with the TSF as well. Well, thank you, Sean. Uh, uh, as you said, uh, uh, the, the TSF is the STS charitable arm. 
the foundation is doing extremely uh, well. I want to make an initial shout out to the surgeons uh, across uh, uh, you know, the world, uh, North America in particular, but across the world, because we had record donations uh, from uh, surgeons, from our constituency, from you, uh, to the TSF uh, in 2020, despite the pandemic. So uh, this is a truly an amazing accomplishment, and we, and we thank everybody. So the TSF is doing quite well. The, uh, uh, the not, not only is, are the reserves going up from uh, donations as well as uh, 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 income uh, from corporations and other, uh, other uh, areas, but also more importantly, because of that, the amount of distributions uh, we have uh, every year are going up and up and up. And this year we're probably gonna be somewhere around a $1.5 million distribution to uh, uh, surgeons across and residents across uh, uh, the world as, as well as North America. So uh, it, we do have the, the, some of the big things that we've always done and they are increasing such as uh, the research awards uh, for both residents and uh, junior faculty members. Uh, and that those are increasing in the portfolio is very broad and very strong and very deep. Uh, we also have the whole mission uh, uh, kind of global uh, surgery uh, concept. This is very well funded through the Edwards Life Sciences Foundation. Uh, now we did have a little bit of a COVID hiccup uh, because we couldn't go uh, to some of those places around the world, but those uh, 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 groups, those programs are, are, are kind of biting uh, at the bit, so to speak, to, to get moving. And we have lots of funding uh, available for those enterprises. Um, and uh, so this is outstanding. And we expect a full, a full speed ahead in uh, 2022, I hope. Uh, and it's all COVID related, obviously. Uh, now we do have some new uh, uh, di uh, distributions and some new awards, including an underrepresented uh, award that was actually uh, developed uh, by Melanie Edwards here on this line. Uh, and a few others for general thoracic uh, uh, robotics. That's a new award uh, for this, uh, this, the award starts in June. Uh, and um, as you can see here, uh, and uh, so the, uh, the, the deadline is August 15th. Um, so that's a new award. We have another new award, uh, which is in conjunction with the EACTS, uh, E-A-C-T-S, uh, which is a, a traveling fellowship that goes two ways. Uh, from uh, North America to Europe and Europe to North America. So there's two awards uh, uh, for uh, cardiothoracic surgeons. That's an outstanding award that's new. Uh, we also have a, a great announcement uh, for everybody, uh, which is a new commitment uh, from uh, uh, Dr. Eugene Brunwald uh, for the Brunwald Award for Women in Cardiac Surgery. Uh, and uh, this is a $1 million uh, uh, investment uh, with a $500,000 two to one match. Uh, so this is a total of $1.5 million award to replenish uh, and sustain uh, the women uh, 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 scholarships, both women residents and women faculty uh, for basically the remainder of time uh, and at least 30 to 50 years. So this is outstanding uh, and is a big announcement we can make uh, uh, right now, actually. Um, we also have a few other awards. I, I don't really have time to go into all of them, but uh, look at our, our, our website. Uh, and uh, the charitable arm of the STS, which is the Thoracic Surgery Foundation, uh, is uh, really moving along qu uh, quite well. So thank you, Sean, for this, uh, for this time. And I'll take any questions. Thanks, Joe, and outstanding work, uh, you know, particularly with all the grants, but, you know, and particularly in identifying, you know, areas where to ensure we have diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, with respect to the variety of awards we're giving out. Uh, so thank you for your work in that area. 
And speaking of that, we're, we're joined, and you mentioned it, Melanie Edwards is joining us. She's a member of the Workforce on Diversity and Inclusion. And, you know, matters of diversity, equity, and inclusion are important to the STS. And, and Melanie, as well as the Workforce Chair, David Cook, have been doing an outstanding job uh, working with us to try and improve in those areas. So, Melanie, I was wondering if you could give us an update in that area, please. Wonderful. You Thank you. Uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Grondin. On behalf of um, David Cook, who is the chair of the workforce, um, I just wanted to give a quick summary of the uh, exciting things that we have going on. So just as some background, our workforce began as a special task force in 2017, um, as SDS leadership at the time to, uh, recognized that the patient population was becoming more diverse and there was a need to um, to expand in this area. And it really fits in with the STS core values of inclusion. Uh, since then, the workforce has grown and has developed into a task force that is, has grown and developed into a formal workforce and has been very active, in including uh, peer reviewed publications, uh, blog posts, and in sponsoring and putting on an, a Vivian T. Thomas symposium at the annual meeting which has been an ongoing program with some outstanding lecturers so far. Um, one of the most successful initiatives has been the Same Surgeon Different Light podcast. Um, this is a, an exciting series. It's co-hosted by uh, Dr. David Cook and, Tom, and Dr. Tom Verghese. And here, uh, surgeons from a variety of backgrounds, both leaders and uh, upcoming uh, stars and surgeons within the STS are featured. Um, and really, you get to hear the backstory. You get to hear the trials, the challenges, the uh, interesting things that have brought these surgeons to where they are today and the points that they are in their careers. So um, season one has uh, finished in April, uh, finished in April 15 with about 15 uh, episodes. Um, they've been downloaded uh, almost 15,000 times. Uh, the two most popular episodes so far are the ones featuring Drs. Joe Chikwe and Dr. Arania Parenza. So uh, for those who have uh, yet to catch up on the series, it can be found at sts.org forward slash diversity, and many of the other resources mentioned can be found there as well. Thank you. Thanks, Melanie. And, and those, those podcasts, I congratulate you and, you know, and Tom and, and uh, the group for putting those on. I, I found those to be really interesting. Uh, I've learned a lot about leaders, how they got to, to be where they are and, and uh, their styles and so on. And there's some really cool stories. So uh, thanks for making that available to us. And uh, I found it particularly helpful when I'm out walking my dog. I listen to them and it's really cool. It's actually quite, quite fun. So Thanks for doing that and uh, congratulations for Tom for leading that. Uh, I'd like to pivot to a question that we received uh, as well uh, prior to the, the meeting tonight. Uh, it came from the audience, uh, a, a member, and I would ask Alan Spear if he'd step up. And it's a question related to CMS fee schedules that markedly undervalue thoracic procedures. Um, and basically, uh, you know, this person was concerned about potential Medicare cuts that uh, were threatening uh, uh, back in uh, December, and they wanted to get an update on advocacy efforts regarding reimbursement. And we're joined by uh, Alan Spears, the chair of the Estes Council on Health Policy and Relationships. And Alan is very uh, knowledgeable in this area, and I really appreciate him taking the time to join us. So Alan, thank you. Can you give us an update, please? Good evening, Sean, and uh, thank you for letting me address this. In 2020, the STS was a founding member along with the American College of Surgeons and nine other 
surgical associations and societies in what we call the Surgical Care Coalition. Together, we launched a successful multifaceted campaign to make our lawmakers and the public aware of the value of surgeons and also how the planned uh, decreases in Medicare reimbursement would impact our patients specifically by limiting the access to care. While we were successful in halting the cuts, which were about 11 to 13% for thoracic and cardiac surgery respectively, uh, the delay in implementation was only for a year and we're still gonna face this in January of 2022. The depths of the cuts, uh, we don't know as of tonight, but we will be alerted by what's called the uh, CMS proposed rule, which should come out the uh, July 4th uh, holiday uh, timeframe. At that time, we'll relaunch the coalition uh, shortly thereafter to re-strategize what our approach will be, but both addressing our legislators, our, our patients, the public in general, uh, on uh, what will be the impact, particularly around access uh, for all of our patients. So stay tuned, uh, and we will be alerting our membership uh, through the SDS social media. Uh, and our newsletters, which will go out in the late summer and fall as we roll out our uh, strategic uh, sort of confront of these, um, of, of these cuts. Yeah, super important area. Uh, and, you know, um, these cuts potentially are quite significant. So thanks for your work in this area to keep us posted on that, Alan. I know, I know this is an area that our Washington team is kind of really focused on to try and work with the ACS and that coalition. So thank you for your efforts there. There was a follow-up question that came in as well, uh, and I'll direct it to you, Alan, if you don't mind, which is, could you provide a quick update on advocacy efforts related to expanded criteria for lung cancer screening? Uh, this year, the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force updated their recommendations for low-dose CT lung cancer screening to widen eligibility. And since the updated recommendations are, grade, are graded grade B, uh, private and public payers are going to need to update their policies, which will take some months. The STS, the GO2 Foundation for Lung Cancer, and the American College of Radiology submitted a joint request to CMS asking for CMS coverage analysis groups to update the NCD, or National Coverage De uh, Decision, to align with the new uh, recommendations. Um, CMS did in fact reopen the Medicare uh, low-dose CT screening NCD and the uh, again we joined with the STS, the uh, GO2 Foundation for Lung Cancer and the American College of Radiology uh, asking for the following to lower the screening eligibility from uh, to age 50 down from 55 lower the uh, smoking history criteria to 20 pack years from 30, eliminate the uh, smoking quit date eligibility criteria from 15 years, eliminate the upper age eligibility limit from 77 years, eliminate the shared decision-making requirements, and then instruct Medicare administration contractors to cover and reimburse uh, low-dose CT in all facilities to include independent uh, diagnostic testing facilities. Great, thanks, Alan. And uh, I do want to recognize the work of Doug Wood in this area. He's been very past president of the STS who's been so active in CT screening for lung cancer. So appreciate his help here. Uh, Alan, I might ask you one other question uh, quickly. I know 
Uh, Keith Nonheim's not with us tonight. He's the uh, uh, chair of the PAC board. Um, but I was wondering if you could just comment quickly on uh, what's going on with the, we've had usually fly-ins to Washington to advocate. I'm just wondering if you give us a quick update on what's going on in that arena. I know it's a little bit up in the air with the, you know, COVID, et cetera, but could you just give us an update on what's going on there? Over the past uh, five or six years, these have become very popular and uh, surgeons from uh, our, our specialty from all over the United States have come into Washington, usually around this time to uh, address their legislators and others uh, on the uh, different criteria and, and priorities that affect our specialty. Um, the because of the entire COVID deal, the uh, this will uh, unfortunately not be uh, in person this year, but will be virtual. And we are uh, aligning that and defining that uh, that will roll out uh, in the next several months as we organize that differently. We had hoped that we would see the loosening of some of these, um, and I know it's, it's mixed around the United States, but for safety reasons. Uh, for our members, and um, we'll we'll do it virtually. So more to come on that. Thank you for Thanks. that question. Thanks, Alan. Okay, I'm going to pivot because we did receive a few questions and comments uh, related to our database transformation. I thought I would try and uh, lump them in a bit together and see if I could once again ask uh, Vinay Badwar, who has really been the maestro helping us organize this transition to see if he can give some updates and enhancements on what's been going on there uh, with respect to the STS uh, registry. Oh, thanks, Sean. Uh, just to, to speak to all of our members, you know, uh, I know this transition with, despite being the timed with the pandemic, we couldn't really prevent that. Uh, and there's been some challenges and we all respect those challenges. And we, you know, the STS really appreciates your collaboration as we've gone through this, but really where we are now is an, an exciting branch point. Um, you know, the SDS database now is over 1,600 participants, over 4,000 surgeons, 8 million operations, 11 international participants. Um, and really now we've, the, the SDS database has transitioned to this 24-7, 365 cloud-based platform. It's got enhanced data security and fidelity and really focused on reduced burden of data collection for our users. And that's particularly now um, explored in the adult cardiac surgical database with over 36% reduction in data variables. But more importantly, it's there, there's the, the modality where you have immediate quality checks when a data manager or surgeon submits information on a patient. In the past, uh, those that are familiar recognize that they submit some information and then it has to get quality checked and come back two weeks later or some other interval time whereby that adds more work and you have to go back and double check. Now this is done instantaneously. So if there's something missing, they ask immediately and it's done. This allows uh, one to decrease costs uh, or FTE costs and time associated with the data entry. And of course, the expanded uh, functionality for users with multiple different new tools, including longitudinal analyses uh, that's been already used with the adult cardiac surgical database and soon to be launched for the general thoracic and congenital upon their use. As you know, the general thoracic surgical database risk-adjusted data has been launched uh, just in a short while ago, and we uh, are expecting congenital to be launched this summer. So um, those are the key updates in time of this transition. I wanted to share a 
couple of sort of future exciting directions for the database that uh, we've already got direct cloud data. In other words, vendors will always be an option, but uh, for additional cost containment options, and many have already taken advantage of this, is that users can actually upload directly to the cloud. Um, even though vendors are always an option, that is another option to be utilized. Um, the STS database is exploring advanced analytics through artificial intelligence, machine learning, and even using the electronic health record through collaborations. And then probably the most exciting aspect that will be coming in a fairly short term is uh, the STS database has started to um, utilize access to the National Death Index. And this is not available yet, but it's in the exploration phase that we hope to launch fairly soon, whereby we would integrate the National Death Index to the STS patient records, and then start to explore even claims-based linkages to evolve this 8 million record uh, valuable resource to a longitudinal instrument of quality. And you can imagine the health policy implications and how we basically restore and improve uh, the interpretation of value of the operations our, our members perform. Great, thanks, Vinay. And uh, just, I had one question that came in. I, they didn't quite hear uh, everything. With respect to the public reporting refresh for congenital database, when did you say we could see, should expect to see that again? Well, that, that's a little different, Sean. Um, the, the public reporting in congenital is, uh, it's something that we really take very, very seriously. Not that you know all the public reporting is taken extremely seriously uh, with regards to our star ratings for adult cardiac and genital thoracic. Um, the risk-adjusted data for congenital is expected to first come out this summer. Now, I know, and I just STS fully respects the congenital public reporting has not been updated for many months. And as part of this cloud-based transition, STS expects again risk-adjusted data to be available this summer. But um, also as such, STS is actively in the process of obtaining consensus amongst our congenital surgeons on the timing and manner to reproduce uh, the equivalent of what our congenital surgeons are known as table 16, which is the risk-adjusted uh, uh, data uh, in, that was available in feedback reports, and into a new and improved public reporting website that is going to be available shortly while simultaneously working on consensus-driven public-reported benchmark operations that do require analysis, and that will be forming the future of reported public reporting moving forward. So um, that hopefully that answers that, that viewer's question. Great. Thanks very much, Renee, and, and appreciate you and the team. Uh, Donna, you know, who's, McDonald's worked so hard uh, with the transition, Bill Stewart. So, um, you know, we'll keep plugging away. We're going to get there. This the the database uh, shows uh, great promise as we move and get things uh, uh, developed even more. So thank you for that. Uh, we have a couple other questions, and I might uh, ask John Mitchell, who is once again a director with the ABTS, to join us to answer a couple of these questions that came in in the last uh, day or so. So. Um, Here's the first question, Dr. Mitchell. What can be done to facilitate retraining slash recertification in an efficient and effective manner without having to do an entire residency with respect to vascular procedures in order to qualify for board certification? Thanks, Sean. So I see a couple of issues with this question. I'll start with the second one first. Uh, the Vascular Surgery Board is a sub-board of the American Board of Surgery. 
and to obtain certification in vascular surgery, you know, you need to complete an ACGME approved residency, either an integrated one or a more standard traditional one. And then you need to pass the standard exam. So th there isn't a shortcut that I know of to vascular board certification. But back to the first part, if you want additional training in a specific technique or techniques, that's certainly doable. And I would remind you that all credentialing is local. So uh, I would suggest that you find out what is required to uh, obtain credentialing at your local institution. You can then avail yourself of, of webinars and other courses. You can go visit other surgeons that are experts in this field and see how they accomplish these uh, procedures. And then finally, you can partner uh, with other individuals uh, in your local area that can mentor you and getting up to speed. Thanks, John. And I, and I have another question I might uh, ask you about in terms of training engagement. This one came in as well, and it, it's probably uh, a good one for you as well. A cardiac surgery rotation is no longer required by the ACGME for general surgery trainees, and many fellowship programs have adopted the I-6 training pathway. What are some of the ways we can spark training interest in cardiothoracic surgery, get the pipeline going? Yeah, this is, a, I, I think, a common issue uh, 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 nationwide, uh, and, uh, and it's one that needs to be dealt with depending on where you are and the situation that you're in. So there's about 33 I-6 programs now, uh, but there's still about 74, 75 traditional programs. Um, but even within the traditional programs, I think it, we certainly at our institution have seen a a withdrawal of general surgery residents uh, from, from our rotations. So how can you combat this? Well, I'd say uh, Shauna Blackman mentioned one way through the mentoring program uh, established by the STS. Another uh, program offered by the STS is the Looking to the Future Scholarship, uh, where general surgery residents and medical students that haven't yet committed to a, a career in cardiothoracic surgery can come to the annual meeting and experience it and uh, hopefully be swayed uh, uh, to our side, so to speak. Uh, locally, we've done a number of things uh, to, to try to get folks to be interested. Certainly, while cardiac cases uh, aren't, aren't required, thoracic cases still are. Uh, and uh, we use our rotation to try to interest folks in the entire field of cardiothoracic surgery. And, and also allow them exposure to the cardiac side as well. There are research opportunities. We use uh, our research labs to interest individuals in cardiothoracic surgery. And then finally, we use our ICU rotations. You know, I, I think for many junior residents, that's the first place that they really experience cardiothoracic surgery. And that can be a powerful draw. I think that's a great point. And I think back to what got me interested in it was actually as a medical student hanging out with a general thoracic surgeon and seeing how cool our specialty was. And so, you know, I think it's really important to get exposure early on. And I know we're working on that at the STS level to try and make sure we have students attending our meetings, not only uh, just medical students, but general surgery residents, et cetera. So uh, I appreciate uh, that answer, John. Uh, it's very thorough. Thanks very much. 
Now, there was a question in the chat box. I saw Dr. Verghese and Vinay is typing an answer, but I might just ask him to weigh in on it verbally here because it might be on the minds of a few other people. So the question was, for the few solo and private practice surgeons out there who want to participate in the STS database, is there a process to do that? So maybe, Vinay, I might uh, save your fingers and get you to just uh, tell us what, what you think on that one. Uh, sure. I mean, obviously, the STS's position is very clear. It's it's for every member of the specialty, every STS member, regardless of academic or private practice, group practice or solo. Um, and so, it, you know, we really, if it's a very important question, we thank you for submitting that. There's many different ways you can join, and this applies to everyone. And that is, if you'd like to join the database or participate in that, submit your name for the nomination process. Uh, we'd evaluate that, send us an email, let us know your interest. It's a, it's a member organization, so uh, those that are interested in, and want to contribute can be uh, listened to and incorporated. If it's the question was based on quality, there's um, the AQO process that you can learn a lot about quality, be involved, meet everybody within the database through that process, and that's an annual meeting that, that you would be encouraged to attend, and particularly if you want to improve quality in your institution. It's a wonderful resource to do that because you really dig into the details. And then lastly, if it's a research issue that you'd like to do, uh, collaboration through the SGS Research Center and the um, A&P process to submit a form. Um, many surgeon leaders are there to help you if you've got a study question that hasn't been answered yet to access some data. Hopefully that answers your question. Great, thanks, Vinay. And it's it's you know one of the things I love about the STS, whether you're a big-time academic surgeon, a private practice surgeon, or somewhere in between, it's an inclusive organization. And I think that that's uh, really one of the strengths of the organization. Uh, Dr. Varghese, um, just looking here to see, we have another question. Uh, do you see something there as well? We should ask. Yeah, I, I think that this uh, question will be probably pitching to uh, uh, Dr. John Mitchell as uh, part of the ABTS. Um, it's uh, it, it, They haven't identified who the question is from, but they were saying that considering the changing landscape of CT surgery, is there any consideration for certification pathways for foreign CT surgery trainees? Uh, difficult question because obviously it gets into board certification versus uh, a certificate. But uh, John, I didn't know if you had any comments on that. Well, I, uh, without question, I cannot speak for the ABTS, um, but I, I guess I can say that the ABTS is considering and uh, working on a pathway for, for international um, candidates to become certified, but uh, I think that's all I'll say in that regard. Thanks for that. Okay, yeah, that's a tough one. and, and uh, Leave that one to the ABTS. They, they, we have a, a lot of representatives from the STS that are involved with the ABTS, so we work uh, collaboratively with them, but they certainly handle the certification area. Um, Dr. Varghese, any other questions? I, we're getting almost up to the end of our hour here, but I'm just wondering, do, do we have any other questions? We seem to have fielded most of them. No, I think uh, we, uh, um, one question just popped up one uh, second, this to seconds, it says, yep. uh, can cardiac uh, surgery senior residents join the mentoring program? Is the mentoring program only for attendings or, or can residents themselves join in as well? I'm um, not quite sure who we should field the question to, or maybe Sean, you want to answer that, so. Hey, hey, uh, Sean, this is Bob. We oh, go discuss, ahead, Bob. 
we did discuss graduating chief residents um, who are approaching the instructor level and or assistant professor level being involved in our mentorship program, but certainly worth considering uh, a, a methodology or a plan to do so. So would uh, defer to you and the current leadership, but it, we obviously would welcome participation from uh, those who are graduating as they uh, matriculate into the uh, faculty ranks. It would be great to have them participate. Yeah, and Shan, yeah, Shanda, did you also have something to add to Bob's response? Yes, in addition to the younger people being candidates for that mentorship program, the Women in Thoracic Surgery Group, which is highly supported by STS, also has a mentorship program for women who are interested in a career in cardiothoracic surgery. This mentorship program is not new, but it's been well established. So you're both a candidate for either WTS mentorship or the workforce that supports early career development will also mentor young people. Great, thank you. Appreciate that. So uh, Dr. Varghese, I don't see any other questions. Nope, I, we, with that, we've got a clean slate, uh, Dr. Dronin. So okay. <laughs> I'll turn it back over to you. All right, great, thanks. So I, I wanna thank everyone for joining us tonight. Um, a lot of great questions came in before uh, the webinar and hopefully we've answered all of them. If uh, new questions pop up, once again, feel free to send them to me at sgrondon at sts.org. Happy to either respond to them or seek out one of our leaders who can give you a response that, that you need. Um, this has been really educational for me. And we and like I said, you can see by the amount of work that uh, some of our leaders discussed, uh, you know, the STS is really engaged to try and uh, help its members. Once again, I would just once again emphasize the needs assessment survey that you'll be receiving a link for. Please fill it out. It helps us to know what your priorities are uh, so that we can make sure we're working on your behalf. And uh, if you ever have any questions about uh, membership, once again, you can go to sts.org slash membership, uh, opportunities to join uh, our, our great organization. So having said that, uh, I think we'll draw it to a close uh, tonight. I wanna thank everyone for joining us, the participants, as well as the leaders. Uh, please stay safe. And I'm really looking forward to seeing you in Miami. So uh, hang in there and we'll, we'll, we'll talk soon. Good night. Thank you, Dr. Grandin, and thank you to all our panelists today for your participation and insight. We invite you to become a member of STS if you're not one already. You'll enjoy a variety of benefits and opportunities to help you grow professionally, plus discounts on educational offerings like this webinar. Learn more at sts.org membership. Promoting Your Brand is the third webinar of the member-exclusive STS Leadership Series and will take place on Thursday, October 7th. The event will focus on defining what your brand means, elevating your profile, communicating as a leader, and making an impact. Learn more and RSVP on the STS website. Save the date for the next event in the STS webinar series, How to Start a Surgeon-Led Lung Cancer Screening Program. Mark your calendars for Thursday, July 22nd. Thank you all and good night.